This episode of The Gourmet Goober is brought to you by SoFoodie. That's foodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talent of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodieWithAPH.com. This is JJ Outlaw. Hi, this is T Outlaw. And we are the co-hosts of the Gourmet Goober Podcast. We are back. Um, you can always check us online at thegourmetgoober.com. I'm always on the Twitters. That's where you can find me the most often at JJ Outlaw and on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. And as always, we open up every show by me introducing my co-host, that dude, um, Okay, the dark Desperado. That's right. Say it with me. <laughs> uh, Big Daddy, a.k.a. T. Outlaw, how's it going? I am doing quite well. You can also call me the Iceman Cometh, the Black Icicle. What was my nickname that I came up with? Hell if I know. No, 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 no. We came up with it yesterday. It was like, what's it? The Frango Princess? The Frango Princess. <laughs> It was something cute, and I was like, I want that nickname for the podcast, and now it's gone. <laughs> Just that quick. Yeah, you shut old. that one. <laughs> Just shut that down with no, okay. <laughs> All right, where can they find you online? You can find me, T-Outlaw, the Dark Desperado, the Black Icicle. Yeah, you can find me, all those guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at T-Outlaw, T-O-U-T-L-A-W. Once again, I can spell. And on Instagram at Tiatlaw Chelsea Wells, like the movie. So we are hanging out on a Monday recording for Tuesday. Um, snowed in like much of the United States. Ice, ice, baby. Oh my God. How much snow is out there right now? Uh, on the ground, six, seven inches. Like how much has accumulated? <laughs> oh, we're, we're, we're barking a foot. Yeah. At least a foot outside, because it's been snowing forever, it seems. So hopefully you guys are in a place that's warm, that's safe. Um, for us, we're just kind of chilling, getting over our trauma of taking our dog to training yesterday. More on that in a moment. Drinking our... What is this that we're drinking? Coffee and Coke. Yes, Coca-Cola came out with a new Cokewood coffee, and we thought we'd try it. No, we're not getting sponsored from Coke. 
Although, if you would like to give us that sweet, sweet money, Coca-Cola, we'd be willing to talk. I'm just saying. We got yeah, the sponsors now, so hey. <laughs> no, you go to a lifetime supply or some kind of, you know, merchandising kickback. I'm willing to talk. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think you need a lifetime supply of anything with caffeine. You don't handle it as well as I do. What? <laughs> Remember when we went to Miami for our honeymoon? And I introduced you to Cuban coffee and I like drank it and I was fine. And you just had like a little teeny tiny dimmy toss and you were awake for almost two days. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on now. <laughs> Hold up. Wait a minute. That wasn't just like, first of all, when you get coffee in a shot glass, that should have told me the first thing. <laughs> but two, that wasn't just straight up like, you know, a little bit of coffee and caffeine. That was like devil's juice. Oh my God. It was traditional Cubans coffee with, like coffee and it has like the hit of sugar and you know the crema that forms when you mix it i mean i drink bugs of cuban coffee you know that like seriously it does me and then my younger brother who drives a truck who i introduced it to him we can hit it no problem big daddy is just like he like does the cross whenever he sees me make it in the office with his finger it's like Stay back. <laughs> no, this lady would get up in the morning and start drinking this coffee, and I could be in another room dead asleep, and it wakes me up just by the smell, the aroma. Of course, I drink coffee strong enough that it wakes you up. Yeah, it's like I, I do it for your protection, though. And I Y'all don't that. ever want to see me not caffeinated. Appreciate it. You do not. It. Yeah, if she gets keyed up, oh, the neighborhood feels it. it it's like the Hulk. Kind of. <laughs> Hulk smash. But not like, it's not like Professor Hulk, you know, from like in-game uh, Marvel's Avengers in-game. That Hulk? It's like Lou Ferrigno's Hulk from the 70s that just had no chill. <laughs> that is me without my caffeine daily. <laughs> With the bad haircut? <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, if I don't wear my bonnet at night, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm not getting. No, not no. Going let's, down let's, that, let's not, no, let's not, not go going down, down that, that path at all. <laughs> so anyway, we hope that you are in a place, listeners, dear listeners, that you're safe and dry and free from the snow. But if you're not, um, hopefully you can chill and hang out with us for a bit as you warm up wherever you are. Um, hopefully you're in a place that can do that. And outside of the snow, Big Daddy, how was your week? Do you want to talk about the trauma of dog training yesterday or suffice to say our dog is not on the accurate program and we can just move on? Here's the quickest rundown of my week as I'm still in rehab. The best way I can explain it to you was dog training. One, this dog is straight up crazy. <laughs> you, every once in a while, he'll get in front of like, you know, these little girls, like, you know, who trains them and he'll like, you know, kind of like, you know, put down his whiskers and be on the Acrite program, you know, will look, look like he's wearing a bow tie. No, he basically decided he was going to be social yesterday. Well, to be fair. Okay. So our trainer, and this is the segment I'm, if you're new to the show, we usually share our week <laughs> and we were going to record yesterday to be fair, but we were so traumatized over fighting the snow and the craziness of getting our dog trained, um, getting him reacclimated to training because 
we had to take a little bit of a break for adulting reasons. Um, and then our trainer who was expecting a baby, she had her baby. So we had to move to a second trainer that he knows, but he kind of doesn't know, like as much as the first trainer. And he is the world's friendliest, doofiest dog. Like if he meets you, I, I know you don't want me to put that in the atmosphere. You want me to say that our dog is like mean and vicious and all of that. Braxton is none of those things. As much as he drags me along, yeah, he's vicious. No, he's he's a doof. He's he's a meatball, and so he, of course, went all meat to Pirello. Yes, he, we had training usually by ourselves, and there were two other dogs, and there's a new dog trainer, and he wanted to greet everybody, and he went buck wild. And the other two dogs, who, ironically enough, are perfectly chill, are looking at us like, I don't know who these people are. Like, it was so bad that one of the dog owners, like, set up a barrier so our dogs couldn't look at each other. It's like, I I don't know your dog. Like, your dog has some issues. Our dog got put in quarantine. Like, I was traumatized to the point where... Dick Daddy had to calm me down after the dog was calmed down. Because I was like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. And you're just like, he's a dog. They do that. Your dog went bomb sniffing dog. <laughs> he went a little cray cray. And then he decided he didn't want the treats that we brought. So we had to get new treats for the training. It it was a mess. So you went bougie too. Yeah, our dog is hella bougie. Mm-hmm. Which, let me just say, we pay a lot for these treats. Because it's part of like this box that you get, which I'm not going to name the box because I'm working out something working separately. Out something. Okay. So I don't want to potentially mess up a new podcast in the works. But needless to say, Braxton was not feeling what was in the box this month. So the lady was like, yeah, give him treats. And I offered him a treat and Braxton was like, nah, I want bologna instead. <laughs> The one time I don't have bologna on me. Yeah, all this money that we pay for these specialized, <laughs> like, healthy treats. Nah, he just wants a box and chew paper. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, no. I ain't I ain't taking this. And, like, get your little treats. But get your little sweet potatoes. No. I'm going to take bologna and trash or whatever, like, you know, you have at the ready. But not this. Not this, you know, the money that you put into these treats. Yeah. So no treats, no rawhide, no poor lamb. <laughs> oh wait, Miss, are you still in mourning about lamb? Yes, chop? yes, yes. Okay, so, okay. One of the major things that have happened this week, if you listen to the podcast, you know that we have been forced to adult lately, as part of the deal with home ownership. So, of which we suck at, which we terribly suck at. So la- before last week's podcast, we had to install a toilet, which was fabulous. But we learned that you have to make sure you have all the pieces because not having a working toilet in your house is kind of a bummer. <laughs> and hell of embarrassing. So this week, in the middle of the snowmageddon that we are now facing, our furnace, which is also hella old, decided to just give out. And so this, well, no, the switch, what was it? The switch? The you lights? are really bad at this adulting thing, right? 
Well, I wasn't okay. there. I was in a hotel. You the were at the, to the question, Yes. The answer to the question was, yes. During Super Bowl weekend, what happened was it got really cold, as with a lot of America. <clears throat> and the furnace was having problems working. So it decided when it wanted to work, which was almost never. And we had to have someone come look at Well, we had to have two companies because the first one ghosted us. And yeah, the first one flaked out on us, which really sucked. Yeah, then the second guy was going to have me, like, you know, go down there and, like, look it up, of which I know absolutely nothing. But, yeah, finally the guy came out, and it was the igniter that was bad. So he had to put in another ignition uh, switch or the igniter. Yeah. So it meant that we were back at a hotel while that was getting fixed. Um, Because it happened on a weird time that no one could come out because it was just ridiculously below zero in some cases. So it was just hella cold. Super Bowl weekend. (laughs) Super Bowl weekend, yeah. Um, So, yeah, these last couple weeks have just been... These last couple weeks have just been... A lot. (laughs) A lot, a lot. But we survived, I have to say. We survived. We survived. We're in one piece. Yes. And the furnace is back to working, which is fabulous. And now we're going to wait for the next thing to go bad. Shh, don't put that out there. Okay, sorry. Did not mean to put that in the ether. (laughs) We're not putting that out in the universe. (laughs) But you know what? It wasn't all bad, though. It wasn't all bad timing. So there were some bright spots. I don't know about you, but like my favorite new bright spot that came out of being, you know, moved to another location and forced to kind of get my mind off of things is my new obsession with Marvel's WandaVision. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay. I am in love with WandaVision. (laughs) Let me just do me. Okay. Because it's, this is just me in the short. Okay. I I would like to believe that I am a fairly, you know, decent alpha guy. I'm not a comic book hero guy, but I do okay. But, okay, my wife's knowledge of comic books and or the Marvel Universe, not only the regular Marvel Universe, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything around it. Is like a an education to me. Like she literally is educating me on every inch of how many movies have has Marvel dropped. There's been, I believe, twenty three Marvel movies. This is like Bond size. Well, okay, twenty three more movies within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. If you count like Marvel properties that doesn't quite fit into that narrative, there's been way more than that. From like Blade, which I think is the first official one, um, to like the different properties at Fox and Sony and things like that. If you could literally look at my face right now, I literally, <laughs> I look like Crackhead Pookie. <laughs> Not Crackhead Pookie. I'm sitting here like, <laughs> huh? I literally, like up until marrying this woman, I didn't know the difference between Marvel and DC, so... That's, you can go ahead and strike me down first, but and that's how what? deep I was. I had no idea of that before we got married. Are you 
is this a grounds for a divorce or something? Well, we've been together for almost 16 years, so I guess there's nothing to do about it now. Well, damn. <laughs> I married you even though you're a Bulls fan. What more do you want? You were following the rings, baby. <laughs> you want to get married? You want okay. some rings? We're, we're, we're not going to that okay. again. Rings. No, no, no. We're not having that conversation. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Space Jam. So anyway, if you are not familiar with Mark WandaVision, first of all, get your life. It is so good. And the thing about I love about the show. Okay, wait, wait, let's let's stop. Um, for those of you who have not seen WandaVision, I'm going to explain what it is. And then I think it might be a good idea to put a spoiler alert. Okay. While we're at it, I think this is the part of the show where I check out. <laughs> no! No, because you got engaged with the two ones I explained it, right? I'm still, like, I have to, like, get my notes out for this. But the thing is, you you know who Wanda and Vision are. Yeah, by virtue of the, a, the, the Avengers. The that I have forced you to watch. Yes, I have seen, <laughs> like, all the Avengers yes. movies. Okay, so if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, you know that I'm a blurred. In fact, one of our first episodes is called Hood Snacks at Symbol, and it talks about my journey into seeing Marvel's Endgame on opening night and all the crap that we went through to make sure that we saw it. <laughs> From strategically planning my bathroom break <laughs> to trying to escape my former jobs um, and meeting with the executive director so I can catch the train on time so I can make it home in time to see the movie. Okay. To even planning when to get the tickets and having them on reserve. <laughs> I am a Marvel nerd. I've always been a Marvel nerd. My dad is a huge Marvel fan. That's why I learned from it. And don't get me wrong. I do like DC properties, but I'm a Marvel girl. So in a nutshell... There are 23 movies in the Marvel Universe, and this is their first sanctioned television show that fits into that. So basically, there are two people. There's Wanda Maximoff, if you've not seen the show. And she's, oh God. A witch. Well, not in this version. She's not a witch. Well, okay, I guess we can call her a witch. Okay. Because this is after Endgame. Yeah, but we can't say the other word. The big M? The big M. We can't say the word meaning. You said it. Well, okay. Do I tell this? Okay, in a Marvel... Basically, there are two Marvel characters, Wanda and Vision. And Wanda's a real human being. Vision is like a synthesoid. It's like an android with human feelings and shit. Like AI. Yes. And they work together in the Avengers... They fall in love. Um, and in game, something happens to one of the characters. And then that character reappears again in WandaVision. And it's weird because it's like, it starts off, it's like a takeoff on classic television shows. And then around episode four, you start to see what's really happening. And it's like creepy and fun as hell. And it's like a riddle max wrapped in a mixery, wrapped in the enigma. It's, it's so good. Oh my god, it's so good. And <laughs> I have been obsessing over it since it started, and I've been binge watching 
I've had time as we stayed at the hotel and different things to kind of go back and watch over the other episodes. Going into the spoiler time. So if you're listening, spoiler. So the show is based on a very classic um, comic book that's called The House of M, where basically Wanda loses her mind and creates her own reality. And so you see this play out in real time where her reality is a television show. And then there's people watching the television show wondering what the hell is going on. And the people that are other characters are actually people that she controls. Or so you think. They want you to think that. So every episode, it's they've been building on what's going on. And then this last episode is what I really lost my mind and dragged you into it was when they introduce her brother. Because the thing about Wanda, both in the movies and in the comic book, Wanda is the stand-in. Let me take a step back. Historically, a lot of Marvel characters have stood in for various real-world problems. So, for example, the X-Men, which was created by Stan Lee, um, co-created by Stan Lee, they were mutants and a lot of their characteristics they can't help and their followables dealing with society was to stand in for racism. So you see the thing I really love about Marvel books is that they take very real world problems and you see them personified in a character. Wanda's character historically has dealt with a lot of grief. Over time, she's lost her brother. Her brother's died. Her, um, in the movies, her brother's died. Her lover has died. She lost her parents. She's alone, right? And so, in House of M, you see her have this massive Mervyn's breakdown and what happens after that. So, going back to the spoiler, this last episode, in the movie, several movies ago, her brother, Pietro, died. (laughs) <laughs> they brought him back, but he's cast with another person who's also played the Pietro character in a different movie franchise. And I have lost my mind because going back to the word that you can't say, mutant. The big M. The big M. Mm-hmm. I'm excited because this might bring in mutants to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And tie everything together. And I... I'm I'm just obsessed. So it's kind of like comic book guy from The Simpsons. Totally epic story. Yes, yes, yes. This is bigger. My obsession with this is bigger than Matt Singer obsession, guys. And you guys know how big I was obsessed with Matt Singer. You were also totally obsessed with Watchmen. <laughs> but this is different than Watchmen. And you yes, hated, it is. And you hated Watchmen. You, well, you hated the Watchmen movie. I don't think you'd actually hate the television show. The television show with Regina King is amazing. And Regina King was absolutely positively badass in Watchmen. Still, Watchmen, too much for me. (laughs) The reason why this character is so big, in a nutshell, once upon a time, Marvel was just a comic book company. And it got to the point where people didn't read a lot of comic books. And they needed to make money. Like me. So what they did was they had all these badass characters and they're like, we're going to sell them, but they didn't sell them all to the same company. 
So some people brought, like Sony, Sony looked at Marvel's characters and go, oh, we're taking Spider-Man and take all of those characters. And then Fox looked at Marvel's character list and like, we'll be taking X-Men and took those characters. And then eventually Marvel made a deal with Disney and all the rest of the characters was in the Disney camp. So eventually it came time for them to create this universe, okay? And what happened was Marvel started making their movies and they were badass. And we're like, we're going to be like the comic books and connect all of these stories together into one big story. And then Sony looked and like, hmm, we want some of that. So they negotiated with Sony and eventually they took the Spider-Man character and they were able to put that in a Marvel movie. And they shared those stories. But now there's the X-Men with the mutants. And Fox was like, well, we made a shitload of money off of that and we want none of yours. So (laughs) it comes out that there are certain characters that are with both franchises, but Fox made it so, okay, so you can mention this person, but the word mutant belongs to us and everything related to mutants, that's our stuff, okay? So we, we have to pretend that this group of people that were integral and they work together in the comic books, they actually don't exist on the same plane. Okay, fine. So for most of the characters, about 90% of the story, not a problem. But then there was Wanda and her brother Pietro, who were technically mutants and part of the X-Men, but also worked with the Avengers. What to do? Well, Fox said, okay, that's okay. You can have them. We already have Quicksilver, the brother, Pietro, with us. Just do not say in any way, shape, or word the word mutant or we'll come after you. Fine. So they came up with a different story with Marvel's Disney version versus the Fox version. Now, further down the line, Disney, because they made a shitload of money, was able to buy out Fox. So now they own the franchises. They own all of it except for Spider-Man. So everyone who is a geek is like, yay, now they can play in the same sandbox. But they haven't really said how they're going to all join together in the same sandbox. Except for WandaVision. And when they brought the character, because they already killed off in the Marvel Disney version, this character. But this character still exists in the Fox universe. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just pick up this dude and drop him off in the Disney character. And boom, now there's mutants. So that's what we're all, in a nutshell, excited about. And I know that makes no sense to you because you look confused. (laughs) All I know is sports. That'd be me. All I know is sports. And this literally is like worse than learning you know, like the triangle offense. But I tried to simplify it as simple as I can. You can't teach stupid people. <laughs> so literally, you guys, Big Daddy's asleep. I'm not I'm, asleep. No, I'm, no, 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 no. Hey, I'm, I have this when, I have this coffee over here. When this happened, when this happened, Big Daddy was asleep. Okay. I'm watching WandaVision because he's not into it as I am. I realized that they plucked little Pietro. Quicksilver from one tin box and dropped it in the Disney box. I go insane and I wake you up and I'm like, oh my God, there's a mutant. And you're like, what? (laughs) What is a mutant? What is a Quicksilver? Why should I care? (laughs) This has to do with, 
I thought you couldn't say the word. <laughs> All of that. <clears throat> so anyway, okay. I've just been obsessing over that for the last few weeks since our last podcast. Okay. Harder than the pro-style <laughs> offense in the NFL. <laughs> and everything I need to know about WandaVision. Okay, so when does Deadpool jump in this bad boy? Oh, okay. Ah, uh, damn. No, 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 no. Okay. Because Deadpool's sort of a funny story. Because Deadpool technically is a Marvel character, right? Yes. But Deadpool also fell into that, oh, we're going to buy this property. So he's not technically in the universe, although they said with the third money, third movie that's coming out, Deadpool 3, they're going to drop him in the Marvel Cinematic Music um, Universe sandbox. But they're not really sure how they're going to do it. But remember when we saw Deadpool and I was explaining to you that it was the same idea where they had characters from a, the X-Men and he even said, you're not allowed to say the X-Men word. They never referred to him as the X-Men. In fact, teenage Negasonic, I forget her name, but the the girl, the badass girl okay. that was in the movie, she actually is an X-Men character, but she has different powers because, again, Fox is like, we're not allowing you to mix that with the franchise. Because we made all this moving money with us. I'm so confused by this entire conversation. I'm starting to wonder, like, because of clearances and whatever, like, are we even allowed to say the word mutants on this podcast? Well, technically we can. Okay. And the thing is, now that Disney owns almost every Marvel character, except for the ones associated with Spider-Man. Do we have to pay Disney? You know, that is a good question, because... One thing we have learned in our short lifetimes about Disney, they do like to sue. Worse than Scientologists. <laughs> remember what happened? Okay, remember what happened in college? Yes, I do. <laughs> you guys, we went to the same college. I think you, longtime listeners know. And I was a dorm resident assistant. Big Daddy, when we met, was actually my student. No, we didn't date while we lived in the same dorm. We went into afterwards before we realized we liked each other. She wrote me up. <laughs> I did write him up. You broke policy. It's not my fault. Look, we're not going to get in that. Yeah. But. man. <laughs> we decided our floor. Our, our, our Both of our floors were brother sister floors. And we decided that we were going to paint a mural. So your floor was going to paint a mural featuring Warner Brother characters. Correct. Warner Brothers gave no shits about it whatsoever. They didn't care. They were cool. The second that we decided that we were going to paint a mural featuring Disney characters, we got a cease and desist letter from the Walt Disney Company. Now, mind you, I still don't know how they found out. This was before the internet. It's not like we emailed them. Dude, this was a long time ago. Somebody snitched. (laughs) Somebody snitched. Because they threatened to sue the university, the dorm, and me if we proceeded with that. So my floor had no mural. Me and my Warner Brothers were like, yeah, go ahead. You know, Roadrunner flipping people off. We don't care. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) Meanwhile, Minnie Mouse literally holding a sign that says bathroom here. 
If nope. you do that, we will sue you. <laughs> so technically, to answer your question, I'm not really sure if they'll see what's to be mentioned. <laughs> but going back to your question about Deadpool. Yes. Since they own about all of those characters, they can do with it whatever they want. However, I don't think that they can actually put him in it, only because there's one problem with Deadpool the rest of the characters. He talks a lot. It's an R-rated franchise. Like, okay. they're not going to stream it on Disney+. Plus. What are you going to do? They don't put R-rated movies on Disney+. Plus. Okay, so I, I never, like, looked into this. Is every Marvel movie PG or PG-13? Yes. Okay. Except Deadpool. It, well, yeah, Deadpool is a Marvel movie, but it's part of, not part of the universe. But yeah, but you know what? Marvel has had R-rated movies before, but they're not part of the universe. Like Blade. Yeah, Blade like, was the first Marvel movie that was released with a major character. Shout out to Wesley Snipes. And it was hella rated R. Like people's head sliced off and everything. I that didn't it. mean anything. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> of course you would. And they're remaking Blade with Mahershala Ali. Yes. Wait, Wesley get a little old for it? Uh, yeah. Or did Wesley have to pay them taxes? Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. I don't need Wesley coming to kick my ass. Look, Wesley not coming to kick my ass, okay? They just did it with Mahershala Ali. I'm okay. happy with that. So, Blade will be part of it. And technically... Deadpool will be part of it. But what I'm thinking they're going to do is that once upon a Deadpool, which is a PG version of it, I think that's what they're going to stream. Okay. Like they're going to release a PG version of it. I don't know if you could. Well, I mean, I know they can try to make a PG-esque Deadpool in the MCU, but. Well, they've already made like a PG-13 version of it, remember? And when was, they did Deadpool 2 and they took out all the F-words and everything. That was barely covered. Like, the, Deadpool as Deadpool, as I have seen it, really doesn't function unless you have Deadpool. Like, well, yeah. The essence of Deadpool and all the foulness that comes with it. It's like having a, I don't know, Judd Apatow movie that has nothing in it. Like literally, it'll be like a an hour movie. <laughs> yeah, like it's kind of like the age but, like, hey, suck this and kiss my whatever, my filth, blarn, blarn, filth. It'll be like what was we watching the other day that they edited heavily and we were laughing our asses off. Oh, the Breakfast Club, remember? Oh yeah, <laughs> that great line where he tells him he's going to kick his dick in the dirt, and then they like change it to something else. Like, literally, it was, like, foul, filth, porn. Can we say dick on this podcast? I just did. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go wash my mouth out. But while I'm saying it, I like to say for the nice people like Coke, this is some real good gourmet shit. <laughs> okay. Hey, before we wrap up this segment, which I think went way nerdier than I ever intended it to be. Okay, blurred. <laughs> Look, I'm not ashamed of that. Okay. <laughs> Y'all come from the pop culture as well as the food. This is pop culture, okay? Get your life and watch WandaVision. It is great. I have told everybody about it. 
I get so excited when like a friend online talks about it and I'm like, yes, let's talk about this. Although with the last episode, I'm excited because they haven't mentioned it, but technically they did kind of sneakily introduce mutants into the MCU. Did they really? Yeah, because Wanda's kids were born with their powers. So that makes them mutants. Okay, so they just didn't go through some radioactive like no. spider. Okay. So they didn't say anything, but technically our children are mutants. And it counts. Also, I'm excited because I think I know who the real bad guy of the movie is. The show, and it's driving me insane because I want them to say the name. Am I allowed to talk about it? No. No, you are not. <laughs> Save that for the next episode. All right, all right, fine. One, we would also like to say happy Valentine's Day to all the lovers out there. Yes, although this came out after Valentine's Day. I, I can still say it. <laughs> happy President's Day. <laughs> That's true. And while oh. we're at it, and soon to be, by the time this comes out, we will also say happy Mardi Gras. Oh, yeah, happy Fat Tuesday. That's yes. right. Because A, I'm Let's fat. Bon ton roulé. Oui, oui. <laughs> Um, there is one cool thing I wanted to just say before I leave. Um, we wrap up this segment. A a friend of mine on a Facebook group, even though I, I've spoken many times that I loathe Facebook, I have made some really great connections on Facebook. And so occasionally there's groups that I still stay involved with, even though I try to stay off Facebook as much as possible. But for those of you who are fans like I am of the Great Food Truck Race, their new season is begins on Sunday, March 7th. So it's starting now. And my friend Kranisha Monique woo-hoo, mm-hmm. will be a c- competitor in the race. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that um, show a little bit um, later when they start. I think it'd be fun to like, you know, live Twitter and just give some support, you yes. know. From give some goober love, if you will. But yeah, I just found that out and we connected on our Facebook group. And I just think that is totally badass. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. And if you guys haven't seen the Food Truck Race, it's actually a really cool show. Um, it's hosted by Tyler Florence. And basically with the Food Truck Race, it's kind of like this race across the country where they have different challenges and there's different food trucks that are competing for like, who's the best. And it really is a great show. Um, It's a great show, particularly if you have a love of food trucks, you know that we do. Um, We've had the food truck scholar actually on the show. So yeah, this should be an incredible time and a good time for representation. So I'm hoping that she does well. Yeah. So we're going to take a break to kind of get me off the WandaVision because I think we went way nerdier than I intended to be. When we come back, we have three really great stories that, of course, cross the divide between food and pop culture. And you are listening to the Gourmet Goober podcast. We will be right back. episode of the Gourmet Cooper's podcast is brought to you by FedEx Office. Whether if you're starting a business or have been running a company for generations, 
FedEx Office gives you the best way to print marketing materials, posters, signage, graphics, and so much more. With FedEx creating, editing, saving, and even ordering, it's all fast and super easy, which is why the Gourmet Goober is teaming up with FedEx Office to bring our listeners 30% off your next order of $100 or more. Just go to podco.co slash FedEx. That's podco.co slash FedEx for 30% off your next order. FedEx, the world on time. Everyone, we're back. We're JJ Outlaw and the Dark Desperados. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are so crazy with that! But we're back with a new episode, the Gourmet Goober, um, and we are with our segment, the What's Eating Us. That's where we talk about the intersection of food and pop culture. And this week, we have three really cool stories that we couldn't wait to share with you. One is something that I know will be a cause of celebration. For many, many, many people. And that is the announcement from none other than McDonald's that they are bringing back, that's right, people, the high sea orange lava burst. That's going to be returning soon to the McDonald's. And if you have nothing, no idea what I'm talking about, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my God. Here we go. <laughs> So, in a nutshell, there are certain drinks that are a staple at McDonald's. Of course, we all know that historically, and it's a proven fact, that McDonald's Coca-Cola itself, the drink, tastes different because of the way they process it at McDonald's than other places. But the high sea orange lava burst, it's been a staple at McDonald's like forever, at least more than six years. In fact, I recently found out that they debuted it back on the menu in 1955. So what happened was in 2017, for some reason, they decided to replace the sweet orange drink. And in its place, they put something that's called Sprite Tropic Berry, which the Coca-Cola company produced just for McDonald's, right? Yeah. So they're thinking, hey... You're going to get this new drink. You can only get it at McDonald's. And then people were like, hell to the mofo no. <laughs> Correct. So for since 2017, there have been a massive social media campaign where people have voiced their displeasure. There have been petitions. There have been people calling the company. And finally, McDonald's was like, dude, we've had enough. And so they very publicly announced this week that they're going to restore High C to its soft drink roster. They even get this, okay? There's such a demand over when they're going to hand over the drink. You can actually go to a website that they created. It's called McFinder.com, where you can track the arrival of High C at your own McDonald's restaurant. Yay! And according to the webpage, People can start looking for it beginning on Monday, February 15th. So by the time this podcast rolls around, if you're not buried in snow like we are, technically you could hopefully go to your local McDonald's and start seeing it. However, they promised it for to be available nationwide by the summer, and they're going to be slowly rolling it out. 
So what do you think about that? Are you celebrating the return of the high sea orange lava burst? Am I celebrating? Have you ever had it? Yes, I have. (laughs) It's like hella sweet. (laughs) It is hella sweet. There was also something that I remembered, and I'm not trying to like jump off the subject, but uh, in the same vein, McDonald's has also decided this is their time of year. They're going to bring back uh, for quote unquote the limited time only the of course Shamrock Shake okay and the McFlurry Oreo with mint okay. But in terms of the reason I bring that up is well because you know we're not that far from St. Patrick's Day, but with the high C, yes, there was been such a demand that people were like literally clam clamoring, as you will, for the high C that everyone like got all excited. And one of the things I remember growing up was there was this funny little hack. I'm, I don't know why I remember this hack, but what they used to do in the springtime or the summer is that they used to take orange high C. And if the machine was still working, because you never know if the machine would work, mix that with a vanilla milkshake. Really? Yes. And see the magic that happens. I have never heard of that. That's a region thing. Was this just something they did with you? Could you, like, ask for it? I'm serious. I, I never knew that. Yeah. It was just one of those random things they did during the summer just to mess around. Take a like yeah, take the high the high C orange burst and mix it with a vanilla or strawberry milkshake. Go crazy and see what happens. Well, first of all, that is insane, and I never knew that. Although that sounds hella good because of the fact that it's um that just sounds like you'd be drinking like an orange sherbet. Kinda yes. Yeah, but I. I actually learned about this going back to what I said in the last segment, because even though I loathe Facebook, there's still several Facebook groups that I'm involved with that I've made some connections, both for the podcast and for other things that has really been a big deal. And I didn't want to like lose those connections. So I still log on at least once or twice a week just to kind of check and see what the board's talking about and everything. Facebook just doesn't like you. Ugh. There's so many reasons why I'm, I'm anti-Facebook, but we're going to move on. But my whole thing about this is all of my foodie groups that I'm involved with, people were losing their motherfucking minds. And they were talking about why they're such huge fans, that this is something their kids like. I honestly didn't drink a lot of it when I was growing up because the Happy Meal, my mother was like the rare times we did get Happy Meals. They didn't want us to have like, you know, the sugary drinks. So I admit, even though I like the high sea orange lava burst, it's it's not something that it's like would drive me insane to lose. Like I haven't craved it. But there are some people who were like near tears when they were talking about it in these groups because they're just like, dude, I've been drinking this since I was a kid. You know, I drank it with my grandfather. This is such a huge thing. So let me ask a question. Yes. Is there anything like at a restaurant that if they got rid of, you would just be so miserable that you would just demand to get it back? I was just wondering because 
obviously high C orange is not it for me. But, you know, like if they didn't bring back the Shamrock Shake, I need at least one Shamrock Shake a year. That's like my personal thing. Mm-hmm. So I admit I would be hella bummed that they didn't do that. But what about you? Is there anything that they could bring back that you, if they just got rid of tomorrow? Like if they said no more McRib ever, would you be like storming, you know, the McDonald's would corporate I storm? office in Chicago? <laughs> yeah, would I storm the McDonald's? No, it would be sorely missed. But since it, it's always like, comes and goes, and you only eat a McRib like once or twice during the time it's there. Right. Then, yeah, I could move on. Now, granted, I have also been the person who, yes, yeah, missing the McRib was a thing. Like when Popeyes used to have these spicy chicken nuggets. That's right, chicken nuggets, not so much tenders. Like when they stopped doing that, I, I, Started a letter writing campaign. At least I tried. Um, also, I don't know why I have this thing about when the nice people at White Castle, when they pulled back the chicken rings was cute and all, but when they used to have chicken nuggets, I loved them. But when they got rid of the corn dogs, the little mini corn dogs. Oh my gosh! I yes, was so mad. You were bummed for weeks. I was like. <laughs> I was like throwing stuff. I'm like walking around. Like every time I go to a White Castle, I'm like, so when y'all going to bring them back? Come on now. Come on. When are you going to hook me up with the mini corn dogs? You can't find mini corn dogs everywhere. This is wrong. I tried a letter writing campaign. They didn't talk to me back. I wasn't feeling that. Also, like say for the people at Burger King, once like way back in the day, y'all had something called Burger Buddies. Now, I know y'all brought something back or kind of close. But no, I remember the original Burger Buddies like in the 80s and early 90s. Burger Buddies was the, there was a shizness right there. I was missing Burger Buddies. I'm still missing Burger Buddies. It was like these little bunch, not not like White Castle, like sliders. I'm talking about these little, tiny little burgers. I used to pop those things like they were past dispensers. I loved them Burger Buddies. But yes, once again, now I've gone back to my adulting presence. <laughs> Yes, there are a few things that I still am looking forward to having them bring back. But also, would you like to bring, like, you know, keep the milkshake machine? <laughs> like, you know, work on keeping that regulated, keep that working? I know we talked about. But you know what? I, I, at this point, I accept that a broken milkshake machine is just part of the McDonald's experience. You know, just kind of like, <laughs> you know. Every Bob's big boy, you see the little statue of the kid holding the, <laughs> the burger. Yeah. It's sort of like that. It's just part of your time there. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. No. And trust me, I've spent many a childhood and teenage years feeling disappointed knowing that that machine is not working. Yeah. It's like going to steak and shake and not getting a shake. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's like finding a unicorn when you find it. You know, I was thinking there's not too many things that I miss, but I have to admit when Taco Bell canceled what was known as their quesarita. Okay. And the quesarito, it's sort of like a burrito and it has like a layer of cheese and then it has like seasoned 
beef, although I usually got a steak. It had a chipotle sauce, sour cream, and then seasoned rice in it. It was a monstrosity. It had tons of calories. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it does not even count as Mexican in any um, <laughs> stretch of the word or Tex-Mex. Fair. But nevertheless, it was cheesy and seasoned, and it was just so good. And I admit, I shed a tear or two when they decided that they're not going to offer the quesadilla. When they took a bunch of stuff last summer off their menu. Um, I think I do remember you shedding a few tears about that. But here's the thing. They didn't really get rid of it. Okay. So you can order a quesadilla, but you can't drive up to them and order it. The secret to the quesadilla is if you go to their website or you go to their app, and this is true, guys. And then you place an order for the ingredients and everything in the quesarito. They will make you one. You just can't roll up and get one. So it's on the secret menu. It's like on the secret menu. So they kept it. Okay. So it's not truly the same thing. But you just have to put in the extra work and ask for a quesarito without the quesarito. But yeah, um... I, I forgot about the mini corn dogs. I didn't mean to bring up that trauma for you. Yeah, I'm having a moment now. <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Like, I get it. It's like mini corn dogs. It's like, you know, when you go to Arby's and order a, a wet mint. It's Arby's. Never mind. That means nothing. There's nothing at Arby's I missed. Okay, we are not going into that. There's a very popular um, podcast that we're fans of, the Black Eyes Who Tip podcast, who believe that no one actually goes to Arby's. And this has caused many a conversation between the two of us. And I have to say they're almost right. I've never gone out of my way to go to Arby's. But they exist, and people go to it. They're building one down the street. Yeah, Arby's makes money because it's one of the... <laughs> sorry, and this is no disrespect to Arby's, even though I guess I'm technically disrespecting Arby's. It, Arby's is kind of like where you go to where... Okay, so... They're the KFC too far, or they don't have what you want. Every burger joint you find couldn't get, or you were just you just kind of like it's the choice you have when there are no other choices. Yeah, it's kind of like you run into like an Arby's, like literally if you literally run into the Arby's, and, and you're like, well, okay, Arby's, Arby's, yeah. And we've actually said that before to each other. It's just like, mm-hmm, well, the. The Euro place is closed tonight. Okay, Arby's. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we know Arby's will never be a our podcast sponsor, our second story tonight is actually one that Big Daddy and I went back and forth to talk about. Um, as you know, it's Black History Month. It is Black History Month. And one of my favorite, all-time favorite celebrity chefs, um, Marcus Samuelson, recently put out a cookbook that honors Black cooks and the soul of American cooking. It's called The Rides. Okay, In fact, I'm really excited because I'm getting, I personally am getting the book. And okay. if you don't know who Marcus Samuelson is, he is a tremendously incredible um, cook. He's, um, he comes from an interesting heritage. He's Ethiopian and Swedish. Um, he has, he very famously has a restaurant in Harlem called Red Rooster. Um, I have been following his work for years. I'm a huge fan of his. 
So this next story, I, I went back and forth, to be honest, whether or not we should talk about it. But it's one that has been hitting a lot of, it's been getting a lot of attention lately on the timeline. So I thought it would be appropriate to mention it. Um, okay. I would like to make sure that, you know, because the gourmet goober is about to give you a dissertation. <laughs> so please listen. It is not a dissertation. It's just, I, I, I had a very visceral response. Yes, you did. Um, so here's the thing. So Samuelson dedicated his new book, which came out last fall, but again, it's getting a lot of attention now because it's a meant to Black History Month. Um, and the idea is the book itself, he dedicates it to some of his favorite Black chefs and um, how they've contribute to, you know, African-American cooking and just cooking in general in the United States. So the book is co-written with um, Osai Indolin. It plays tribute to Black chefs, and it has cooks on the rise who tell their stories, um, like Houston's Christopher Williams. So there's a lot of different people and profiles he includes in it. One of the profiles he includes is a woman by the name of um, Leah Chase. And if you've heard of that name before, she is the owner of the legendary restaurant in New Orleans called Dookie Chase. Dookie Chase. She's owned that restaurant for a number of years. It Just to let you know how influential that movie is, and you may not know this. Okay. Tiana, the character in The Princess and the Frog? Yes. Her character is actually based on Leah Chase. Really? Yes. Um, so she was the inspiration. Um, the restaurant was the inspiration for Tiana and the princess and the frog. She's the Disney princess who owned the restaurant by the end of the show, end of the movie. Um, she has been influential to feeding members of the civil rights movement. She believed in food as a tool for activism. So, um, She's been an advocate for Black culture. Her restaurant was a meeting place for people like Rosa Parks. Um, If you've seen the Beyonce masterpiece that is Lemonade, the video, she's actually in Lemonade. She, she, Beyonce's like, look, I'm honoring all the Black queens. I need you there. She's the one who's sitting in the throne. That's her, the older um, Black woman in the throne. She even, and this is hilarious, I always think this is funny, but she reminds me of my grandmother and my aunt, um, Werner. She used to do the same thing, where Obama one time very famously visited the restaurant, and I forget when, but it was when he was still president, right? Barack Obama? Barack Obama. Okay. And he visited the restaurant, and you go to Dookie Chase and part for her gumbo. Her gumbo is legendary. Okay, so Brock goes, he gets on the gumbo, he reaches for the hot sauce, right? She slaps the president's hand, just straight up, pow. (laughs) She's like, don't you put hot sauce on my gumbo before you taste it. (laughs) And that's how you do it, right? Yes. (laughs) So, to be fair, he dedicates this book to the memory of Leah Chase, who passed away. About a year ago, right? This was Samuelson, correct? Samuelson did. Mm -hmm. He was very close to her. And one of the things that he creates 
there's a recipe in this book that he dedicates to her and her gumbo, right? Correct. But here's the reason why it's appeared a lot on my timeline and it's been getting a lot of attention. One of the key ingredients of gumbo, the base of it, is called roux. And then in its most simple form, roux is a fat and a flour that you heat and you mix together. Um, Most of the time I use like an olive oil or a canola oil or peanut oil if you're legit. Um, I had a family member who only used peanut oil. Um, But basically it is the heart if um okay it's well, the it's, soul. Not, it's okay let me take that back so the holy trinity which is um bell peppers onions and oh my god it just slipped my mind oh, it'll come to me in a moment um the celery celery is the key component is the heart ruis is so of a good gumbo you start every good gumbo with the roux, right? And if you mess up the roux, it's Big Daddy knows because whenever I make gumbo, and I don't make it as often as I'd like, because of the fact that it tastes such a long time, you could be spending up to 20 minutes making a good roux. Because if you mess up this simple base of a fat and flour, it ruins the taste of the whole experience of eating the gumbo. And we hear about it all the way throughout. Okay, you hear about it because usually I'm the one sitting alone in front of like the Dutch oven steering the room. Okay. And I admit that. And you make it with love. I make it with love, of course. <laughs> but here's the thing. Samuel's old to Leah Chase. He makes his own what he calls gumbo. Correct. But he leaves out the room. Was it just no mission, or did he just do that intentionally? No, he did it intentionally. Okay. So people have been reaching out to Marcus and saying, "Dude, um, this is not a this this is wrong. You're leaving out the rue." And he stands by his decision, although according to a recent interview in Bloomberg, he acknowledges that look, I understand that people may not see this as a gumbo. Because of this. But in his defense, what he says is, I look at food from a flavor perspective. The gumbo has cleaner flavors without the flour, and you can taste the essence of the dish. And he mentions the red pepper, the seafood, and the spices. Now, people argue that part of the reason why you use the roux is it helps to thicken the sauce. And that is one reason of it as well. And so instead, he uses what's known as a gumbo filet powder, which what filet is basically, it's ground sassafras leaves as a thickening agent. There are not many times you hear the word sassafras, so thus I'm now intrigued. But, well, we have gumbo filet in the kitchen. We do. I just keep shaking it in my Creole just to (laughs) make it Creole. But the thing is, he really argues that gumbo doesn't need it. And it's a cleaner flavor without the flour. 
um, in what is the basis of the Rue. When I first read the story, Big Daddy can tell you, I was almost in tears. I was just, I was hurt that he did this. And I had to like figure out why so many people were really shaken back. Um, and so I, I went back to some of the Facebook pages, you know, that this came up with, and this has repeatedly come up in the timeline as to why this is such a huge deal. Yes. I came after this because I, I know that me, just me who has never physically made a gumbo in my life. I know that because the goober has told me on many occasions how the roux is made and how essential it is to the process of the gumbo where it comes from. And I, I don't want to say it's like an offense to the ancestors, but it is part of the Holy Trinity of building your gumbo mix. And he said that she would have slapped his hand too if he saw making gumbo without flour. So he acknowledges that. Yeah. And so he, but he maintains that this, she would have loved it and she would have been for it. I argue that I, I disagree. And the reason why is you have to understand the nature of gumbo and where it comes from. Now, I learned how to make gumbo. My mother made gumbo a little bit when I was growing up, but I didn't really get into gumbo until I moved down south for graduate school. Um, I got my master's degree. I don't talk about it a lot, but I got it from the University of Southern Mississippi. And I have a lot of friends and family members who live in Mississippi in the Delta and in the, the Delta okay. and other places in, in Louisiana. You from way down south. <laughs> yes. My mom is part of the family is from way down south. And growing up as a kid on the time that I did spend a lot of time in Mississippi, I would say I went every other summer up until I was about 11 or 12. And then I didn't return back to Mississippi um, full time until I went to graduate school for those few years. One of my biggest joys is watching my family members make the gumbo. Um, in fact, I had one Cajun family member. His name was Uncle Zarin. He's passed on now. But he made an incredible gumbo as his wife, um, Aunt, my great aunt Elame. And then my cousin Verna taught me the method I use to make gumbo today, which I make a chicken and andouille gumbo. And the thing is, on one hand, yes, the brew itself, people can argue it's just simply a flour and a fat. Um, but the way I was taught and the recipe that I adapted, it's one that's been passed down literally from generations. So Verna's mama made it. Her grandmother made it after that and so on. And for many people, it's not just what's in it. It's the tradition we run it, right? <clears throat> and I would challenge that when you think about the basis of it, in many cases, the story that was given to me 
was its origin in many cases were it was passed down basically from our ancestors who who were enslaved who didn't have the benefits of the resources that they had in the master's house right so sometimes they just had scraps and maybe oil and flour to put together meals okay and be able to feed themselves so there's a lot of history that goes into that recipe and you could call it many things, but to take something that is so essential to its existence, you didn't make gumbo. You just made soup basically, which I know people would argue it's the same thing, but and I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm trying not to get overwhelmed because when I found out this yesterday, Big Daddy, I just, I kind of, like I said, had a very visceral response about what that entails and why certain recipes, it's like he appropriated the recipe. Okay. To me, it's no different than, and the example I gave you yesterday, we were watching the Five Heartbeats a couple months, a couple, a couple weeks, weeks ago. ago. And if you guys haven't seen The Fine Heartbeats, it's a great movie. It's an older movie. It was out, what, in the 80s? Late 80s, early 90s. Late 80s, early 90s. But it was about a a group. It was a movie directed by a great director, Robert Townsend. And it was made to parallel this rise and fall of The Temptations with these childhood friends who got together and put together a very successful R&B singing group. There's a scene in the movie that actually played out many, many times in real life where basically these great talented black musicians, they had a song that they introduced and they were working with the record company. The record company is like, oh yeah, this, this is the greatest thing ever, but we know what will take it over the top, right? And then they bring in this white group and they sing the song and essentially they stole the song. They took all the color out of the song. They took all the color and the flavor out of the song. And when I read the story, I was just like, it's, and I, this gives me no joy because I love Marcus Samuelson, but it's literally like he just took every bit of heart out of the song or out of the food in order to make it something more quote-unquote palatable for audiences. Okay. Because let's face it, like I said before, a good roux is something you can't rush. Because essentially, you apply heat to this fat and you add the flour. And you have to mix it and you stir it. And you stir it. And it takes time. And it's a consistency that you have to keep an eye on the entire time. Right. You can't walk away from roux. Okay. You can't, if the root burns, you have to start all over again. If the root doesn't get to that color, you just keep going until it gets to that color. So sometimes it's taking me 10 minutes to get a good root. Sometimes it takes me, I think the longest it's ever been is like 30 minutes. And the best way I can explain it to you is my uncle's Aaron, my great uncle's Aaron, rest in peace. He said one thing to me one time when I was a little girl, and I never forgot this. He said, a good roux is kind of like love, right? Like love, you got to put heat on it. 
but you can't take your eyes off of it because if you leave it unattended, a good rule like love will burn, right? I burn in love. And if it burns, you have to start all over again because you can't use it. It's a mess. Sounds like a bad date nap. A, you know, if you don't steer it, if you don't pay attention, if you don't put effort in your roux, your roux will never change color and you get to that luscious chocolate brown goodness that every good love needs, right? He's talking yeah, about black love. But that's right. The apply, hot black burning love. <laughs> you can apply to everything. But he said, that if you get your room right, it's the basis of everything else that you build. Okay. So you can have friendship, you can be friends and everything else. But what holds it together is the room. And I challenge that Marcus, in his effort to improve on the classic, he essentially took the heart out of something that maybe he shouldn't have. It's many things, Marcus, and it is. And he even said, you know what? Leah, if she tried it, she would love it. She's about evolving the flavor combinations. That's all true, maybe. Maybe you can taste it, taste the red pepper without the flour. But I dare say that by doing something like this, and encouraging others to do something like this, they're missing out on an experience that really makes the history behind the gumbo what it is. You're taking the love out of it, just like my mm. uncle Aaron said. Okay. It'd be many things, but it's not gumbo, it's soup. Well, let me take a, an alternative view of this. Without, like, as I was looking over the ingredients of Samuelson's dish, I was wondering to myself if without looking at like, you know, how other people make their gumbo, would you say that as Samuelson put together this, you know, adaptation that like anything he may have added or subtracted, would it have made it a necessity to have the room? Yeah. Okay. So basically you're saying with the stuff that he added in, it also necessitated them like having a section also about adding root to it. I would think that maybe he would want to, or maybe even I would even do like a traditional gumbo and then his other one and maybe gumbo in quotes or something. Okay. Cause my fear is that people will have this and they'll make it thinking they made gumbo and they did not. So basically, it's like gumbo with asterisk. Right. It'll just take what the essence of gumbo is. Okay. Because part of the reason why I, and I joke about complaining when I steer the gumbo, but during that time, I remember watching my family members make the roux. And that was time to tell like the story behind it. Or like this one time when they made gumbo. Or it's, it was the time to pass on traditions and story because you had that long period of time you're making the roux. So it's never just about the roux itself. It's about the tradition of cooking mm-hmm. and how in many cultures that use this pass on that information. And I say that you take that out and it's a shame because it's in a book that's about 
black cooks in the soul of American food. So why take out something that's so essential to that soul and rob maybe a next generation of knowing what that is? That's what makes me sad about it. Okay. Let me also take um, a view that, and this is, I'm not trying to be lazy when I say this, because like I said, I have never, I have made shrimp creole. I have made, I've tried and attempted making jambalaya, but I've never made gumbo and sure as hell have not made like the goober or any of my family and of yours. Would also be weird for me to say that since making the roux does take a great deal of practice, that maybe that the people that he was aiming this at were people who were not good with the practice of it. And thus, would you be willing to say that in today's date that some of the people who would be making this gumbo asterisk would, I don't know, not have that patience to practice it? No, because I think historically one of the best things about Marcus's cooking and Marcus's recipes, and I've made them before, is the fact that he likes to challenge um, them to to explore different cooking practices and things like that. And to be fair, he always takes a he prides himself on using a new approach on traditional on traditional recipes. Okay. So that's always been part of Marcus's um, expertise, if you will. But I, I don't think it's necessarily about people losing time. I, I think honestly, he's probably going for a different flavor, um, flavor note or flavor identity than Gumbo traditionally has. And I get that. I, I totally get that. But I just dare say that there are certain recipes that taken out of context, particularly because so much of this tradition has been lost for various things, reasons because of the age of the people. Like, let's face it, I don't know of many people who have grandmas and grandpas they can interact with right now. The aunties and uncles of our communities in order to watch them cook, particularly in the pandemic. True. Um, you have to look at the dissolution of Creole culture as it happened during Hurricane Katrina and how many of those wars were forced out and they weren't allowed to come to their home. And as a resulting diaspora, some of those flavors and those traditions have been spread and wiped out. And of course, not every recipe can be transferred correctly over Zoom. And that's true as well. Like my mom, and I've talked about it many times, my mother makes the best stuffing, or no, dressing. And she doesn't write it down. I've been trying to get that recipe and I can't. God forbid if something happens to my my mother, this is something that was taught to her by my great-grandmother. It'll be gone. So I think there's, yes, there's something to be said about giving your own flavor notes and giving your own credence. I just maybe question it in the version in which he did it and a book about history. And then certainly without taking the context of the why behind the root and the why behind why this is such essential cooking. You know, for me, he just took the heart out of it. Sure. 
And I'm sure whatever he makes is amazing. He is an astounding cook. It is one of my top 10 bucket list things before I leave this earth to go and eat at Red Rooster. If this ever gets back to Marcus, I cannot tell you enough how much I love you. That's why me saying this really hurts because I'm just thinking, I'm not really sure if this is the way that I would have went in telling Leia's story and keeping her legacy alive. Essentially, since her gumbo is so essential to who she is. So let's go on a lighter note to wrap things up. And that is a recent announcement that has been made by our former first lady. Um, and I say this, not the one who just left. I don't acknowledge her. <laughs> okay. Shot. <laughs> but the real former first lady, Miss Michelle Obama. So as you know, may know, um, Michelle Obama and President Barack Obama, they recently signed a deal with Netflix, the streaming service, in order to create programming that's designed to educate and uplift, kind of something similar to what Harry and Meghan has signed. And so they're coming out with their first show, and it's a culinary kids show called Waffles and Mochi. I just like the name Waffles, Waffles and, and Mochi. mochi. <laughs> Matter of fact, like donkey. Waffles and mochi. So it's a 10-episode series. Um, Each episode, I understand, it's about 20 minutes. It'll debut on March 16th on Netflix. And it'll star the First Lady. Get this. She's so cute. So she's going to be a friendly supermarket owner who um, hires two friends who want to become world-class chefs. One friend is a little puppet named Waffles. The other one, oh my god, it's so cute. It's a little puppet shaped like a mochi. <laughs> and explain for us, you know, <laughs> especially me who is very slow, what a mochi is again. Well, mochi is kind of like a Japanese ice cream treat. It's made, it's rice based. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes in different flavors. Um, it's very, it's slightly chewy. Um, but it's really, really good. And they're like, they're like little bow shape they're like little dumpling shapes okay so you can fit one in the palm of your hand in fact if you google michelle's mo there's a picture of michelle with waffle and she's holding mochi in the palm of her hand i'm sorry i'm just like dying this is so cute okay it does look like a it could be made into a cartoon character yes so it's going to be puppets interacting with live action the really cool thing is they'll have people ranging from Jack Black to Chef um, um, Jose Andres of the World Kitchen. They'll be traveling all over the world, and they'll be teaching kids about healthy eating and cooking and exploring different recipes. And I, for one, am psyched. I don't even have kids. Hell, we don't even have Netflix right now. I'm going (laughs) to get Netflix so I can binge it. Um, but it looks like it's just going to be so much fun. And how excited is this? The idea that they're putting something like this together. No, I'm deeply excited because I just want to give kids and like a, a view. All other than seeing like, you know, cartoon violence or and or just, you know, things outside. Because, you know, the world is scary right now. Right. But just giving them something to like broaden their horizons. And now they're the horizons of what they see every day, but also 
expand the horizons like to a global view. And I just think it's really, really fun. Um, one, I love the idea. I wish they may had something like this when I was a kid because particularly for parents. And like you said, right now it's a scary world. Many kids can't leave their house, you know, because of the Rona and how unsafe it is. And so to be able to explore different venues and at the same time learn about different flavors and different foods. You know, we were talking about this the other day. There's like a whole host of foods that I wasn't um, exposed to until I was older. And this is through no fault of my parents. I mean, one thing. Yeah, they did what they had. Yeah. One thing I have to say, especially my dad, my dad was a construction worker. He was a cement mason for many years. And he often traveled to new locations for his job because he was very skilled at what he did. And whenever he interacted and he saw like a new food or something new, he would always bring it back so we can experience it. So I sample things like cheese fudge and different sandwiches and things like that. And I'm very grateful, but you know, there's still some limitations in places that he didn't have a chance to see and do and bring back to us. And so to be able to show this to children who may be, like you said, homebound and give them a safe way to kind of explore healthy eating choices and places to dream about and things like that. I am super excited. I know it's aimed at preschoolers. Um, Realize that (laughs) I have no children, but I'll still watch it because I love puppets and everything. So I just think this will be a lot of fun. So what do you think? Is that something you think would it be, be something big? I would indulge in? Like, I would watch it just to see what different varieties and different cultures that they in, they intersperse in this. Because it just seems like it's just something fun you can bring to kids. And it will be something, yeah, I would love to share with, you know, some cousins and friends and you know other people just because it's just there it's just i just like to see you know and involve something because you know food is a a world language right and also just the fact that this is something that you can share with people and especially through the eyes of children because children whether or not they like things or not they'll give you their honest opinion and i think you know just having the ability to bring it forth in color and through youth, it actually might bring, you know, something positive to the aspect. I am just really excited. I think this is such a brilliant idea. Now, this is one of many projects that they've introduced and they'll be rolling out um, through a company that the Obamas created called Higher Ground, which I think it's kind of legendary in and of itself, because if you think about it, there's never been, at least in my recent memory, although well, I guess the Clintons, they claim the Clinton Global um, Initiative. So they use their time outside the office for charity. Um, and of course, um, you know, what's his name does Habitat for Humanity? President oh, Carter. President Carter, yeah. Yeah, the name slips my mind. So this is one unique um, thing that they've decided to do, which I have to say, it's really brilliant and it kind of, goes along with many of the things that she created, including the garden back in the day. It's my hope that people will watch it and not push back. I'm I'm so confused as to why you would be mad about promoting healthy eating. I I never understood how people were 
angry about the garden. No, the garden at the White House. Yes. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, First Lady, Dr. Joe Biden, is working on... Getting it back, right? Yeah, rebuilding the garden. Which I think is awesome. In fact, I heard that she actually sent Michelle like some produce from the garden. Which is fair. Which is fabulous. That's cool. We don't know what the last occupant did. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah, but I'm thinking of like really cool things that would come from like the the Bidens, like you know what they could bring to the program, or the you know like we said the Obamas, the you know Laura and George W. Bush. You know, I would love to see what you know what kind of Texas flavors they have. Uh, Even back to the Clintons, and like you said, we'll see what 45 brings to the table, if any. But, but yeah, I would love to see like a global initiative and ha- you know have that through the eyes of children. Well, the healthy eating, I think this is one of many things. So I wish Michelle and Waffles and Mochi. <laughs> Waffles. I act, I act like I know Michelle. I wish Mrs. Obama. <laughs> Waffles and Mochi, all the best. Um, it'd be cool to talk to them. But um yeah, congratulations on the new show. And I will be watching. So I will also. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to wrap things up in a few minutes talking about the best thing we ate this week. And you're listening to the Gourmet Goober podcast. We'll be right back. Gooberland, this is JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober. Do you consider yourself gumberworthy? Maybe you're a little bit gourmet and a lot ratchet. Well, if so, tell the world what your very own goober gear. From aprons and mugs to t-shirts and hoodies, it's the perfect way to support our show while telling the world that you're part of Gooberland. So just head over to gooberswag.com. That's gooberswag.com and get your very own goober gear now. This is JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast. We are back with the last segment of our show called The Best Thing We Ate This Week. <laughs> That's when Big Daddy and I go over our favorite recipes, hole in the walls, franchise restaurants, places that you need to know, um, and that we are happy to share all the good, good news about. As always, we remind our audience if there's something that you would like to share, especially in the middle of this pandemic, it's so very important that we do our part to keep local restaurants going. So if there's a restaurant you'd like to feature, <laughs> just email us at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com and write us and tell us about the best thing you ate this week, and we may read your letter on the show. So this week, as always, we start with Big Daddy. And what was the best thing you ate since we were last on the show? Um, previously, I had gone off the board with my selection, and I once again will go a little differently. Okay. Um, as opposed to doing pizza from a restaurant, this time actually was one. It was a frozen dish. 
two, it involves something that I'm not usually partaking of. Um, and three, it actually comes from a delivery service that the gourmet goober hooks up. Oh, really? Which yes, one? Um, there's a couple. What What is it? Because I know there's a couple that I order from and I can tell you where it's from. Well, my selection this week was actually, um, it was actually tamales. Oh, the lamb tamales. That yes. was the best thing you ate this week? Yes. My it's sol- always a surprise, you guys. We don't talk about it beforehand. <laughs> yes. Uh, my selection were uh, lamb tamales and is interesting to me because I'm not usually like a very big lamb person. Um, didn't eat a whole lot of it growing up, but uh, every once in a while, you know, you just have a hankering for something different. And, you know, I'm always into like, you know, pretty cool meats. So the goober just happened to pick up from, uh, is it, uh, what's the name of the uh, company? Oh, it's the company that we order stuff from called Imperfect Foods. Correct. Yes. And I just happened to come across this in our freezer, and I said, "Let me try out these uh these nice little tamales." Usually, I'm also not like a very big tamale person. Usually, I'm into like, of course, I'm a big taco guy, you know, goofy like me. But I said, "Let me try these tamales out, see how they go." And especially with them being uh, lamb tamales, I knew it was going to be something completely different than what I was used to, and Weirdly enough, after hooking them up, putting a little season with them, it actually turned out to be absolutely delicious. We were like fighting over the last one, you guys. Yes, we were. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. And let me also say they are not a sponsor. Um, so I'm not paid to say what I'm about to say. But I actually am in love with the Imperfect Foods. And if you guys haven't tried it, it's a little company and what they do is that um, they're, they ship produce, they ship meats, they ship um, like dairy products, um, meat um, alternatives. If you happen to be vegetarian, vegetation. vegetation, <laughs> vegetarian, okay. well, I guess if you were like, I don't know, Swamp Thing, you're vegetation too. But if you're vegetarian or vegan, <laughs> they deliver those choices. The idea behind Imperfect Foods and the reason why I started um, ordering from them recently is um, from my time working with an organization um, that deals with social justice. And one of the things that I learned was just how much waste that we as a country and a society usually waste when it comes to produce and meats and things like that, but particularly produce if it doesn't look perfect. So the idea is that aesthetically, there's a certain way that we look for like carrots and, you know, radishes and different veggies to look like before a farmer sends it on to the grocery store. And there's so much of the stuff that gets left behind because they know it doesn't sell. So what Imperfect Foods does is they come in and say, hey, we will take your perfectly great um, produce um, off your hands so that way it doesn't get tossed or, you know, gets put in a place where no one can consume it. Um, And we've, the really great thing is you can order it so it comes every week. We get ours every two weeks. 
Um, the base program allows you to get produce. And again, it's perfectly fine produce. Like one time we got a carrot and remember it was like a, it almost looked like a double helix, the carrot. It just, yeah, it was like weird the way weird it grew. DNA experiments. <laughs> it was a rare DNA experiment. It really was a carrot. But it looks like there were two carrots that must have fused together and they just twisted around each other. So it got like a big carrot. It was perfectly fine. It was a carrot. Sometimes that happens in nature. If you've ever had a garden, you know, every once in a while you pull out that one thing that's like, what the heck? But it's still great. It just, it grew that way. So the whole idea is that you will get um, as the base part of the actual box really great produce that you know may not look aesthetically pleasing but it still makes a great meal and i like it because it kind of forces us to be creative with our cooking correct (laughs) so um i've gotten a lot of vegetables that we don't normally eat every day but regardless it allows us to look for recipes like oh wow how can i Put this cauliflower together or things like that it's wonderfully healthy as well because the food is in season so that you know that it's something really good and nourishing for you and if you do happen to be a meat eater oh my gosh you foodies out there dude their meat section we have been eating like literal kings right because um, one of the great things they offer is like heirloom chickens. And so you can get like a whole heirloom chicken, which is usually like ridiculously expensive um, at a pretty reasonable price. In fact, one of the cool things they offer that I've made and I have told many people about is they offer like this spatchcock chicken. And if you're not familiar, spatchcock is when it's like a whole chicken and they take out the backbone. The back area so it lays flat right but it's a really great way to cook your chicken because it allows it to cook evenly um for those of you with small ovens like we have a small oven it just fits perfectly in there um it allows everything to just remain deliciously juicy on both sides they taylor swifted a chicken <laughs> Dude, just, took, just took all the back out that? of it they took all the back out of it. But same time, yeah, they laid it flat. Yes, they do lay it flat. Yes. So you can get a really great, if if you're like me who have tried to spatchcock a chicken and it's really hard, you can actually get it from them. But they do offer a lot of specialty stuff as well, like the lamb tamales one time. Or, um, gosh, what else did we get that was really great from them? What we got that um lamb roast, I think, from them too, right? Yeah, they are pretty decent with their lamb portions. Yeah, yeah. But if seriously, if you're a foodie like us and love heirloom chicken, dude, get the over to Imperfect Foods. It's really great. Yes. <laughs> so um yeah. Um that's interesting. I didn't realize that that was the best thing you ate this week. That sounds really great. And the lamb tamales, which I think it's a specialty item, so I don't think they have it every time. Um, but so yeah, the, like, yeah, I looked into it. You looked into it. Cool. Can I also just say before we go to mine, um, my particular choice? The other thing I like about them is that, to be honest, we 
We've been ordering them for what? Like six months or so? Has it been six months? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Off and on. Okay. Because there's, I know there's been some weeks that we've canceled. But, um, and you can get boxes for like a family. You know, there's just the two of us as, you know, the two people. But occasionally, I, I would say twice within that six months, they've been a slight error in the order. And I've reached out to them on customer service. And I have to say, they're a really, really quick and responsive. They've they're, been incredible. They're pretty good with you, probably because you put the fear of God in them. I don't, don't say, dude, don't say that. That is not true. Okay, you, maybe they just know you. <laughs> they know the goober, and then they're like, okay, we got to get on the act right. No, 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 no. They, they have been really responsive. In fact, um, with the last order, they even texted me after and it's like, hey, we're just checking in. Are you so happy with us? And that's actually pretty groovy. A lot of companies don't do that or don't have the resources to do that because of the Rona. So kudos to them for doing that. Um, so yeah, um, lamb tamales and perfect foods. I will go ahead and put the link to them. Um, yeah, in the show notes. So I can't guarantee you guys you'll get the lamb tamales, but I can guarantee you will probably find something really cool from them. Like this week, oh my gosh, one more thing before we jump on. And actually, you know what? I've changed my mind for the best thing I eat this week. You changed your mind (laughs) mid-sentence? Yes, I did. (laughs) Okay. Let's let's roll with this one. So what I was going to say, what I was going to say was my choice for the best thing I ate this week was going to be this recipe that I made. And I'll put the link to the recipe as well. Um, Another food ordering service that we use gave us an opportunity to get um, beef cheeks, which sounds really grody, (laughs) but they're really good. And it's the basis of what people traditionally use to make barbacoa. And I was so excited. I was like, yes, we can make barbacoa like legit, right? That's right, Vinny Barbacoa. (laughs) So we made barbacoa tacos and they were really, really good. And I'll I'll provide the recipe, but- Oh yeah, barbacoa. I was thinking the best thing I ate this week, actually, now that I think about it, comes from. Um, hey, hey, lamb tamales was my choice. You can't jump on it. No, no, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say the same thing. Okay. But it's from the same company. Well, no, it's technically not from the same company. Okay, which it's, direction are we going? Is this a love roller coaster? I, I ordered it from Imperfect Foods, but it's actually made by a company called La Boulangerie, right? What is it, bologna? No, it's not bologna. <laughs> hey, it sounds like bologna to me. <laughs> it is not bologna, I promise you. Okay, La Boulangerie is a French bakery and cafe. Um, they're actually, believe it or not, based out of Chicago. You know what? Um, they, they have like... Um, like a store and you can pick up. Um, oh no, actually, you know what? They have a place in Chicago. They're based out of San Francisco. I misspoke. So you can find them in Chicago. You can find them in San Francisco. It's a restaurant. It's a bakery. They focus on French food and you know how much I love French food. Pinky finger in the air. 
exactly the, the French food. But they have this thing called um, Le Boulangerie Croissant Toast. Once again, it sounds like <laughs> uh, bologna bread. What it is, okay, you guys, it's like a loaf of bread, but the bread is actually, it's like a loaf of sliced croissants. Once again, pinky finger in the air. <laughs> so each loaf, um, each slice, it's really thick. So if you wanted to use it to make French bread, I'm sorry, French toast or anything like that, it's very thick. So it'll hold up to that, like put it in the batter and everything. But it also has these flaky, uh, it's, it's hard to describe. It's, it's very flaky, um, the texture wise. So it literally is like, Biting to a slice of bread mm. with like the texture and the buttery taste of a croissant. <laughs> and usually um, you can find this online. In fact, I first learned about this croissant bread and I have been obsessing over trying it um, from Facebook and Instagram where I'm in a lot of foodie groups and there are people who are like eating the laundry bread. And I, I thought you hated Facebook. I still hate Facebook. Okay. But as I explained before, there's still some groups that I'm part of in Facebook. Okay. Continue. So <laughs> the love, um, the use, bologna bread. Usually it is not the bologna bread. Stop it. You're throwing me off. Continue. <laughs> usually the bread itself. It's hella expensive. Like you can get it for like up to $10 for a loaf. But in, in perfect foods, a loaf of this specialty bread is under $7. So when I placed the order, I was like, dude, I have to like try this bread. And I we got it today. And I tried it today. And I made something hella simple, right? I just made an open-faced peanut butter and jelly sandwich on this bread. And when I tell you that I felt like I was just laying back in a cafe in France, just biting into this, it was just so heavenly. And the butter, buttery um, flavor of the bread really took it up a notch for the peanut butter and the, and the blueberry jam. When I tell you, baby, it was everything. <laughs> it was everything. It was everything. It was really good. <laughs> So if you happen to have a chance to get your hands on it, and I'll put a link on it as well, please do. It's worth it. It's delicious. Loved it. I'm going to like hoard every slice of it. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's how well much, worth it. <laughs> how much did you pay for this bread? We're not going to talk about that. Wait a minute. And when you ate this bread that you're not going to <laughs> tell me how much you paid for. Because uh, I feel like Julius from like everybody hates Chris <laughs> right now. Uh, were you wearing a beret? Maybe. Did you put some brie or some kind of special, I don't know, French cheese on it? Well, I do have some spreadable gold cheese. I was going to try on it tomorrow. Were, are, are you planning on at least sharing some of this uh, special croissant bread? Well, I was going to make you some French toast with it. You're going to make me some French toast? Yes. Okay, okay. I'm willing. I'm willing. 
She might let me have one slice. Two. Two oh, ooh, oh, I feel special <laughs> now. I feel loved. <laughs> okay, so now that we have embarrassed ourselves in front of our listeners, Big Daddy, just wrapping up today's show, where can they find you? You can find me, T Outlaw, on Twitter at T Outlaw. That's T O U T L A W. And on Instagram at Tiala Josie Wells. And if I can say on my way out the door, um, with everything going on, the craziness, I would like to give a shout out and pray for my folks in Texas, Louisiana, and just all over the country that's going through this weird winter. Okay. (laughs) Well, and I concur everything that you just said. Um, I hope everyone is safe and warm and dry. Um, right now, you can find me, JJ Outlaw, on Twitter at JJ Outlaw. You can find me on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. Oh, and speaking of Instagram, one extra thing. When I'm on Instagram, you, when you follow me on Instagram, just so you know that, um, I've been asked to be um, a new ambassador. So um, for a couple of things, one is everlasting comfort. So you will actually see, you probably have already seen it on Instagram where I just wanted to say thank you to those guys again. They're a new sponsor of ours. (laughs) They gave me probably my new favorite thing, which is this incredible plush bath pillow. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram, learn more about it. There's a link to um, our new sponsor, Everlasting Comfort, where I think you can save, what, 20%? Yes. Yeah, by using the code Gourmet Goober. <laughs> and I'll put that in the notes as well. But yeah, you can follow me there. And I, I guess I'm a new Instagram influencer. <laughs> Keep it real. She will be the one on Instagram with her special pillow, eating a croissant. No, 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 no. A croissant toast. Get it right. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Seriously, you guys. Um, we know the weather out there is crazy. So please be safe. Stay warm. And until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Gourmet Goober. And we will catch you in, what, two weeks? Hopefully, yes. Lord willing, two weeks. (laughs) No more technical difficulties, but until then, you guys, happy eating. Happy eating.